episode of Salty Thoughts with Tamal Dodge. So today we're ushering in Nathan Phillips. He is a longtime friend who currently stars in a TV show called Hunters on the Sci-Fi Network. His last film went to the Cannes Film Festival. He is an Aussie actor, yogi, surfer, traveler, and a psychedelic dude. Good day, Nathan. How you going? <laughs> Good day, legend. What's <laughs> this? Australians always call people legend. Is it is it something that everybody gets, or is it very specific? It's very specific. I'd like to think so. You have to earn that title. You have to earn that. I'm flattered. That's Life awesome. is a legacy. So far, yours is good. I think you're a legend. Thank you, brother. See, it sounds weird with an American accent. I'm like, you're a legend. <laughs> and he's like, you're a legend, mate. <laughs> um, let's talk about the land of Oz, the magical place where everything is down under, the oasis of Vegemite, where it all began for you, literally. Yes. Yeah. In uh, Victoria, Melbourne. Um, bloodlines, you know, like most us Anglo-Australians, we come from the boats that brought us over from England, that most of us, my family are Irish, Catholic, Russian, Jew, Dutch, gypsies, you know, wow. Jews, yeah, so I'm a mutt, a mix, which all of us essentially, these labels or these dispositions of where we're from, I call myself Australian, mm-hmm. but I just think now it's like, just call ourselves human. Yeah. human beings and we're all in this shit fight together you know? <laughs> we're all in this you know cosmic kind of like white land of wonder and yeah i'm just very fortunate that my disposition and this in this time i was born in australia you know the, the lucky country we're so separated from the rest of the world um we forget and uh we're very fortunate in some ways yet we have our our horrible past with our indigenous much like every colonized yeah. Com- you know, country in the world we have you know our skeletons in the closet we have a lot of reconciliation to do we have a lot of healing to do mm-hmm. um, for our indigenous aboriginals for all of us the new age the people from Sudan the people from Afghanistan Syria that are coming to Australia yeah. the disconnection and the disconnect the disconnect is very evident and very prominent now as it was mm-hmm. back to when you know the aboriginals were being taken from their families and being forced out of you know 40,000 years of living to be told to you know change it up um, besides that reality of Australia we have the beautiful rich and abundant nature of our land the terraplane is amazing you can grow anything um, our oceans are just full of wonder um, the land speaks to us the Aborigines call it the dreaming the, like for the native Indians here the creator we have such a divine connection to our land. We're very, you know, very aware of the importance of uh, leaving it better than you found it. Mm. Um, so having less population, you know, less people, you have space to breathe. You have time to be in wonder and get caught up in the magic of the land. And you just constantly get to learn. You get to be in awe. And your little life, your little blink of existence really can kind of be ushered down. It could be... It can be uh, put into perspective. Yeah. When you see how old the land is and really how old you live in the context of it all. Um, I think that is our fortunate birthright to be born in that country 
or to call that country home. Because um, I have happily been living in America 15 years and traveling since my parents, you know, could take us traveling. <laughs> and I'm fortunate to realize I can call Earth home. Yeah. And people ask me, what do you like better? Where, what's better? I'm like, there is no better. Yeah. Like, I'm where I am. If I have the ocean, the moon, and the sun, I'll call wherever I be home. And you create a home by your mirror. Your life is your mirror. So the people you surround yourself with, you know, the smiles you decide to have in your life, that's home. That's the impressions on the heart, and that's what lasts. That's legacy. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I think that's very key. And like you said earlier, you know, you have all these different bloodlines in you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of like how the world is right now. It's becoming a melting pot of everybody's bodies are made up of a different bloodline and this bloodline. And mm. it becomes like a mesh melting pot of everything. And you realize, you know, yeah, you could say you're like me. I'm Tamal Dodge. I'm a, an American. But, you know, I've got Japanese blood. I've got Hungarian blood. I've Irish blood. And you think all these things. When it comes down to, yeah, we're all all these different races from all these different continents, but even on a deeper level, we're all souls, man. We're yeah. all spiritual beings and even deeper connected on that level, yeah. which I like when you're saying um, the aboriginals, you know, you've got a lot of history there, yeah. very spiritual people. And, uh, you know, you're connected to the land and Australia is a place that I want to go to because it literally to me seems like Alice in a Wonderland. It is something different. It's the land of Oz. It's, it's a, trippy place it's quite prehistoric in that sense you know the, the animals will show you that the mammals <laughs> and the marsupials what the, the hell spiders. kind of animals are out there man you know what I mean it's yeah. like yeah and that little spider can take me down that, that little jumping ant will bring me to my knees in tears <laughs> one little ant um, you know um, like I said it is a playground you know Bangarain you know it is a neverland for me you know because yeah. And then Polynesia and all the islands around it too, yeah. you know, I've, I've learned so much from, uh, I've learned so much from really watching that we're so busy culturing up, culturing up when we could be just culturing down. Yeah. We could be just really simplifying our lifestyles and the way we consume by just going back to the old ways. Because I've lived in Papua New Guinea, I've been to East Timor, I've been to India, I've been to most parts of the world. Um... South America, yada, yada, yada. And the happiest people have been with the people that are really not there with the TVs in the bedroom and the, mm. the advertising, the mass media and the just the propaganda. Like, they're literally just living from day mm. to day. Um, and they're the biggest smiles I've seen is when they're just literally living with the tides, with the, the moon and the sun. And, you know, like, they're really connected to oh, yeah. the true teacher, the true, you know... Um, wonderment of our life and why we're here you know nature we are nature and that's the biggest thing for me I've been really connecting to my whole life is understanding there's a world of religion there's a world of philosophy there's a world of science there's all these worlds and we're all trying to make sense of a world that doesn't have to make sense yet as man we want to make sense of it I get that desire but the more I learn wisdom's a blessing and a curse like Gandhi Mm. said you can't turn your back on it um, and it just propels me to keep living my life, this gypsy lifestyle that you've mentioned, um, to get more teachings, to meet more mentors, to be of service and to understand my capacity of service and what's my capacity to be the greatest version of myself I can be now. Yeah. You know? Um, and it's, it's, I get that from traveling. I get that from putting myself out of the comfortable into the magical. Because magic does not happen when you're comfortable, unfortunately. 
Yeah. It's getting uncomfortable. <laughs> I, like my father used to tell me when I was a kid, he used to say, Tamal, if you're comfortable, you're not progressing. Yeah. You have to get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Amen. And when I was in, uh, uh, I was in Fiji and I met all these people that were on this, I went to a private island where there was no electricity, no nothing. And these people were so fucking happy. It yeah. was unbelievable. They were so connected to each other. Um, you had these families that were crammed into a tiny hut of like 15 people. And to us Westerners, you look, you're like, oh my God, they're so poverty stricken, but they were so wealthy. They were in love with each other, with their children. The kids had no toys, no iPhone, no cable television. They're on the beach playing with sand crabs, mm-hmm. hanging out with the family, running, playing, laughing. I went to a school on this island. I, you can't access the, the school by bus or car. There's no cars on the island. We had to take a boat or you can hike through the jungle to get there. We get to this school and they have grades from kindergarten to high school mm. all in one room. Mm. And you go in there and these children, they love each other. They help each other. The teenagers are helping the little ones. The little ones are helping the big ones. I played rugby yeah. with some Fijians. Yeah. And the 13-year-old boys look like they're 45-year-old men there. Yeah. They're like gigantic yeah, with Kawa, beards and it's all the good living. It's yeah, all the good living. It killed me. I, I did not know how to play rugby. I was like throwing it forward, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and uh, but it was uh, it was a magical experience seeing people that had like you were saying, no uh, technological distractions or anything mm. like that. You know, they had just a connection, a connectedness to the earth and connectedness to the world, and in turn, they were living a happy life, a peaceful life. I, I think about this book called Small is Beautiful by a guy named E.F. Schumacher who was like an English economist. And he was sent to this small Asian country in the small village to help this village become civilized. Mm. He goes to this village. He's this British dude. And in this village, the whole village is built around a temple. The temple's in the center of the village and around the outskirts of it. And through his time there, he realized these people were so unbelievably happy, so rich with love, so rich and their connectedness to each other, that he didn't need to help them, they helped him. So he came back to England and wrote a book called Small is Beautiful, how we need to be connected to our spiritual life, how we need to be connected to each other. Mm. And it's a beautiful book, and it's right along the lines of what you were just sharing with me with your experiences as you travel and your connectedness that you find in your own homeland. It sounds like, yeah, my kind of jam, Bernie Sanders style. (laughs) But it's like also, too, it's like in Bhutan, like the government, I mean, it's a Buddhist place, so the government work for the people. Happiness is the GTA. That is the purpose of government. Are you happy? Yeah. Can we make the people happier? <laughs> yeah, simple. <laughs> simple, right? Yeah. The uh, world has enough for everybody's needs, but not enough for everybody's greed. So if we get over that, amen. it changes everything. Amen. And so, and since we're on the lines of just talking about travel, I do see you sporadically because you are an international gypsy. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about uh, experiences abroad, the mind-expanding adventures you have seen, felt, and embedded in your Aussie heart. Um, let's start with some of the names of the places you've been. Okay. Um, Serbia, Croatia, um, Peru, Chile, um, Indonesia, Nias, Maldives, um, East Timor, Papua New Guinea, all around America, all around South America, mm-hmm. uh, Japan. Uh, everywhere Vietnam yeah kind of everywhere except for like places without surf oh and I'm yet to do Spain <laughs> and uh, France I'm on the list of Spain and France so I do have there's a lot to do still yeah, a lot, still a lot, lot to do always a lot to yeah. do yeah 
and it's, I like it when you travel some of the places that you least expect to blow your mind are the ones that just completely floor you. Yeah. The humble little places that nobody yeah. really talks about. With, uh, you went to the Maldives, you get to surf there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. was it good? Yeah. Oh, Everyone's man. good. Papua New Guinea was probably the best though, because that was like so long ago. I yeah. was with a woman from there and I didn't, I wasn't a tourist. It's, uh, one thing I've made sure from a young age, mum and dad took me and my brother out of school for three months when we were 11 and 10 and instead of buying a house or getting a car my mum and dad saw the value in learning and in, in mm-hmm. travelling in, in just being out in nature and surfing so you know, thanks mum and dad again but we travelled in a, a trailer and we travelled the east coast and west coast of America mm. just did our thing at different states Mississippi the old south <laughs> to New Orleans to LA to Mexico to Vancouver to Hawaii and we finished in Hawaii which is you know great so place found, to top it off yeah surfing was like yep found the love of surfing solidified there solidified there so and then I've learnt about poverty firsthand in Mexico mm. you know I'd never felt it never understood it TV could never really get break that down for me until I saw children in Tijuana yeah until you see them there. barefoot in like a nothing but like a pair of underwear trying no, to say chicklets you're like no, whoa yeah, no, yeah, no younger than me and on the streets there with nothing and no. here I am learning firsthand. and then the magic of travel I was 11 I was in California and I just watched my first Johnny Depp film called Cry Baby mm. and for some reason I said to my mum and dad I'll leave here one day <laughs> now here I am all these years later working in film yeah so I believe in the magic. I believe that land holds space for us. It's a conduit. It's a. There's such a like hive of activity here. It's no doubt the gold rush. Like LA has such old school connections to the indigenous, to the first people that came here, and for us now, I think you see the consciousness as one of the states that says, "Yay, Bernie Sanders! Yay, spirituality!" Out of all the states, you know, mm-hmm. um, it gives me hope that we can mesh these eastern and western worlds it gives me hope that there will be a majority of like-minded souls out there pushing and helping the rest of the world understand education is key mm-hmm. um, and I get educated by traveling and the magic I meet and the serendipitous nature of traveling by putting yourself into a position you normally wouldn't be mm-hmm. into a room you wouldn't normally sit in and that's where the true magic happens and I've met people like you along the way mm-hmm. and that share this wonder, wonderment, that share this experience that magic is real. Yes, I might be an angry hippie and a bit of a you know, rough around the edges guy, but luckily I've met people, luckily I've seen magic, luckily I've felt magic to understand that there is no higher religion than truth. And my empirical research in my life tells me, yes, say yes. Mm-hmm. You know, everything can complement religion, science, philosophy. It's like theosophy. And that, for me, is something I keep finding in my life, in and day out, day out. You know, Madame Blatsky and a couple of other cool dudes are cool. They just came together one day and said, hey, how about the unification of brotherhood? With no distinction of caste, creed, colour, whatever. How about the complement of religion, science, you know, and philosophy? How about... We are here to say, let's learn more about the latent powers of man and the unknown, the unknown variables of nature, or the unknown of nature, like Mm. the magic. I think that's what the latent powers of man is. It's like, 
you hear about the myths of man and what we can be capable of, how much little of our brain we use, of our hearts, you know, what yeah. we can be capable of. Yeah, I think it's endless what we're capable of. And, you know, people always think about where they feel like they're going to stop. Yeah. They feel like, how, how am I limited? This is where I think I stop. Versus, is there a limit? Can I push myself to the farthest limits and see how far I can possibly go versus trying to put a roof on yourself. Yeah. And so people put all these like roofs and blockages in their heart and their mind and all these things. And it's funny thing, Gandhi was one of the first people that's trying to say, hey, look, look at all our religious um, similarities versus our differences. Yeah. That's one of the reasons he got assassinated. He yeah. was assassinated by, not by a Muslim, he was assassinated by a fellow Hindu. Yeah. People were terrified about the amount of change he was gonna create because you would tell people about the similarities between Christianity, yeah. Islamic faith, Hinduism, yeah. Buddhism, and people were like, you can't do it. You can't just talk to all these people in one meshed pot and say we're all this, we're all the yeah. same, we're all brothers, yeah. we all are under the same roof, the same sky. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I do think there's absolutely, positively, um, an incredible uh, unifying way of telling people, hey man, Let's we're all be connected. Stardust. We're yeah. all connected. We're either we're you all connected. Like to think we're connected or not. Yeah. We are connected, mate. Yeah. And the more, the more we think we're you are me, I am you. We're separate. We have nothing in common. You're you're this. You're you're a Democrat. I'm a Republican. Right. You're white. I'm black. Right. You're Asian. You're yeah. Indian. All, all these things. The more there's going to be issues. But that's what they want. Yeah. They want every, the third world, and they want every, that to happen. Yeah. Everybody wants this uh, way of just you know blocking ourselves off from each other, mm. and so if we can create more of a unity it's going to change a lot of things um you know and something that i've discovered through a lot of the years is um just looking at people and having connected conversations with them like you and i are having and saying hey do you believe in god Mm. do you believe there's a soul Mm. and when people start to get in those kind of conversations they open up Mm. and when they open up they start to think about it. Oh, I don't really even think about that very often. Then you start to philosophize and then through that conversation you have this immediate spiritual connection with them and they start to become happy and then they start to take that conversation to other conversations later on and um, I feel the strongest way to help people get connected is through spiritual conversations. Mm. You know, living beyond the material, living beyond Mm. the surface of what you see and getting people to connect as a jiva atma or soul. Yeah. Embedded yeah. in the body. I mean, we are just water. For me, like, like a, my my empirical research of my life, mm. my day to day, my in and out. Yeah, I can't help but go. Yeah, man, I, I believe in your star sign. I believe that you're we're all random atoms bouncing off each other, and we all have this cause and effect, and we are all capable. So, like, just to think about what I now can, as I'm getting older. I mean, Alan Watts is a hero to me. I'd like to think one day I can get to a place of being articulate and sound in mind, body and soul mm. where I can heal people through sharing the gifts of my stories, my true stories, my my own experience with this dance of life, you know? And I'm not afraid to dance. I love dancing. You know? I'm yeah. happy to learn a new dance. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I just, you know, when you said, come to a podcast, let's just shoot the shit. Let's just have a... Let's have some discourse and, you know, catch up. We haven't seen each other since right. you've been gone. I haven't I've got seen back you three a weeks long ago. time. Yeah, eight months I've been gone, you know? Yeah. Six months of work, of play and loving what I do, filmmaking, telling stories. That's probably what gravitated me towards filmmaking is that 
wow, I can share a story that can hopefully maybe affect someone in this universal plane of existence. Because all our themes and all our great themes of life, it's all Star Wars. Mm. You know, it's all quite the myths of uh, our times, the themes, the great themes of our life. We're just retelling the story. We're not reinventing the wheel, mm-hmm. but we're giving it our personal, organic, you yeah. know, bit. I think acting can also be like a a really cool way of tapping into um, things that are inside of us already. You know, for for instance, you know, I believe in reincarnation, and I believe we had different lives, different roles. I look at this life as a role. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I'm a yoga teacher in this life. You know, I could have been something else in my past life. And when people are actors, it's like you're tapping into bringing about different personalities and characters and stuff that you may have already been in the past. And it's one of the reasons people find it to be fun and interesting and wild. You're bringing about history, ancient mm. history in yourself. Yeah. Oh, there's ancient. So if we start remembering this, we are all ancient. You know, we've got bloodlines that go back. Rather than find the separate the differences, find the things that actually bring us closer together. Mm. I, I learned something really wonderful from a beautiful girl, Danielle, the other day. And she taught me, just through having a conversation about life, that when I was getting heated about pe- lack of education in the world, lack, mm. lack of education in America. Mm. I know more about the American Civil War than half of my mates, <laughs> you know? Um, and... It doesn't have to irate me anymore. It's just a fact of life. And rather than being someone, you're just uneducated, mate. You know, you could be looking at this glass half full, not half empty. But now I have learnt to now have that same conversation. But rather than saying, you don't know, mate, it's just, mate, you just forgot. Because mm. I think we all have the answers of this humility, humanity, the, the intention of love, the intentions of the human being, the true purpose of our being, of being of service and of being in awe of what we are um, and of being of service. And I think we've just forgotten that. Mm. Now I can say that to people and feel good about it. Like, well, you've just forgotten, mate. You've already got it in you. Mm. I don't need to tell you, you need to learn something. Who wants to be told? No one likes being told things. I've learned that. Go to your room. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But how about, you've already got the answers inside you, mate. Yeah. You actually, I'm going to leave you with that because you should know better because you know yeah, we all have things that are floating around in our mind and our, even our consciousness or our subconscious. Yeah, we yeah. know we need to do it and we're not doing it. And that's like the plague of the world right now. Yeah. You know, everybody, I always talk about this, or say 75% of Americans say they're unhappy. Yeah. And they're subconscious. Everybody knows they got to do something about it. Yeah. And a lot of them, yeah, they may not be able to articulate in their thought process of how to get out of that, how to get out of that place of being unhappy and things like that. But in there as they start to search their soul and their heart, those answers will come of how to do it. And, you know, it becomes a mission for them, a self-journey. That's the life for me. Life is one giant mission. Yeah. You know, it is a journey. And happiness is real when it's shared. It's the human spirit, which blows my mind, you know, because I come from war veterans and PTSD, alcoholism, gambling. I come from bloodlines that have been stained in the horrible side of Mm. humanity. Yet... I have the flip side and had a grandmother who was a matriarch mm-hmm. who smiled every day who lost her husband after seven children when my mum was born through you know hard times never wavered she smiled mm. that to me is magic that to yeah. me is what how can I learn from you so to have a grandmother to have that first hand in my life to have a conduit of an angelic feminine divine being that just gave effortlessly and family meant the world to her. 
to have that probably for me is my little bit of magic while I can fearlessly travel because mm. I just know something that was taught to me without even teaching it it was just there I was present to it yeah you know I think even when people have you know bloodlines that have been through rough spots or even family members that have been through rough things or even in your own life if mm. you've been through a lot of stuff I think I think pain and suffering is important in life it's, not that we should all we should seek it out but no. that when it does happen that it is something that can really spur change and inspiration in our life to do greater things uh, for instance my own father he was my father was born in Japan my grandmother was a little Japanese woman my grandfather was a GI pilot post World War II right after World War II long story short knocked my grandmother up said he'll send for her and my dad comes back to America radio silence never con contacts them again she's just waiting and waiting for this GI pilot to send for her she has my dad my dad comes out looking like me kind of green eyes Beautiful. light skinned <laughs> and a snow leopard, <laughs> a snow leopard. <laughs> but um so he comes out looking like me and of course everyone hates Americans especially if you're a half breed in, in Japan right after World War II so all of my Japanese relatives are telling my grandma, put him up for adoption, put him up for adoption. He's going to live the worst life here in Japan being a half-breed. Yeah. He's going to get nothing better than a job than a janitor. He's going to be beaten up every day. He's going to be tortured, ridiculed. She doesn't want to do it, doesn't want to do it. She waits till he's three. And then she puts him up for adoption because she was so attached. But three, he's so old. He's attached to her so much psychologically, emotionally, everything. They are connected puts him up for adoption, another military family from America decides to adopt him. They adopt him, move him to America. This family that adopts him, the father is a colonel, the mother, they're all very older, they were never able to have children. My dad's living in America and she thought she gave him this great life. He's going to America, and this military family. The guys that adopted him didn't know how to raise children, never did, they were older. They, were raised in institutions here in America in like foster care and stuff and so the only way they knew how to raise children was no emotional connection no love mm. and the only way to discipline them was through violent physical abuse and my dad was like beaten with bamboo canes mm. and uh, fiberglass fishing poles he had bones broken but no one ever questioned because the guy was a colonel like why is this kid's always jacked up so my father was just living this horrible life getting abused and they're always moving every six months to a year to a different place, a different country because they're in the military and he just always felt lost, you know, felt there was no hope in life. And he's 15 years old and they land in Hawaii on this military base. And his first place where, you know, he actually felt connected to people. One, because when he's traveling all around America, everyone hated Japanese people just as much yeah. as Japanese hated Americans at the time. So he was always getting beaten up at school. It was just the ho same yeah. horse shit that her, the mom in Japan thought she was saving him from. So he's in Hawaii, and he's like, oh, finally a place where I'm not getting beaten up because everybody's like Asian or Hawaiian. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, Chinese, and, Filipino. Yeah, yes. that's Hawaii is. Yeah. So he's in school. He's loving it. He starts surfing, gets connected to the water, picks it up real fast. And, um, you know, he starts picking up this whole journey here in Hawaii, feeling connected to people. Starts doing psychedelic drugs. Starts dropping acid and mescaline. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm advocating psychedelic drugs, everybody, but it's just what my dad's doing. Right <laughs> so he's doing all that stuff and he starts having these wild out of body experiences and grows his hair long. One day he comes to, back home. It's late at night. He's been drinking 
and his father, his adopted father's there. This guy was old when he adopted my dad. Now it's been like, you know, a long time, 12 years. This guy's in his 70s and my dad's 15. And the father looks at him and says, hey, you're out late. He's like, you know the drill, and he's going to beat my dad up. But my dad and him look at each other, and my dad was like, dude, I'm 15. <laughs> like, you're in your 70s. I could take you. <laughs> he didn't say it, but they both know it. They look at each other. But then my dad realizes that wouldn't be right either. So my dad just stands there and takes it, and this guy just beats him up. My dad gets up off the floor, wipes all the blood off his face, and says, this is the last time that's ever going to happen, man, and walks out the door and runs away. Meets up with some of his friends who are older. They're 18, 20 years old. They have an apartment. He moves in with them. My dad's 15. He's loving life, living with these guys away from his parents. He ran away. Here's there's this uh, band called uh, Blind Faith. It was like Eric Clapton, Stevie Winwood. It's like a spiritual hippie supergroup that was going to play at this concert hall in Hawaii. And he's like, I'm going to go, guys. And all his roommates are like, why are you going to go? It's sold out, and you're not going to get in. So my dad's like, I'm going to go. So he shows up, standing outside this concert hall. There's hundreds of hippies who don't have tickets that are going to try to rush the door. Yeah, smart. Smart. And my dad's one of them. <laughs> Get on him. <laughs> so he's so there. Like my dad's 15. Yeah, and he looks at, he looks over and he sees this guy. And it's the 60s, so it sounds like it's made up. He sees this guy who's got like elf shoes on. Mm-hmm. Total like elvish. He looks like just stepped out of, you know, the Chronicle. He sounds like Dude, he's Lord of the Rings. I'm pretty sure it's the five of those guys. Yeah, there's five of guys. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but he's, he steps out of basically like a Lord of the Rings movie. And um, the guy's meditating and chanting and he's like oh I wonder what that guy's deal is he remembers just thinking what's that guy's deal because the guy was into spiritual stuff but then all of a sudden this very famous French drug dealer comes up to my dad named Pierre and goes hey man I need you to take something for me and my dad's like what and he gives my dad this giant paper bag and my dad stuffs it in his shirt and he goes what is it and he goes it's mescaline the cops are after me he's like I'll get it from you later and my dad's like how are you gonna how am I gonna find you and the guy's like don't worry I'll find you and the guy takes off running my dad's like, oh shit, I got this giant bag of mescaline on me. And uh, this cop shows up later who's got like a wig on and a mustache. Like, hey, did that guy give you anything? And my dad's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. And so the guy takes off. And my dad's waiting for this doors to open up. And he's like, well, shit, I got this giant bag of like 500 tabs of mescaline. I'm holding it for him. Might as well take two. So he takes two of this heavy psychedelic drug. The doors open up. All the hippies rush to the door. The cops are throwing these hippies on the ground. And my dad looks around and sees all these hippies running, getting thrown. And my dad's like, what if I just walk? Like, stroll. Maybe the cops will think I have a ticket because I'm the only one not running. So my dad strolls and he walks right in, no problem. Sits down in the front row, feeling good. And lo and behold, that little hippie guy that he saw up front who was meditating and chanting, everything comes, sits right next to him. And my dad's like, hey, man, I saw you. What's your deal, man? What's your deal? What are you doing on those beads? And this guy's got these mala beads. And the guy's like, oh, well, my name is Gildor. <laughs> of course, right? Of course. And I chant a different name of God on each bead. I chant Rama on one, Jehovah, Krishna, Buddha on each bead. And he goes, hey, you should meet uh, my teacher. And he pulls out this little book. And it's called Simple Meditations by this guy. And by this guy named Siddha. And my dad opens up this book. And because my dad just took all this mescaline, and it just started to kick in strong. He opens up the book, and the first word says, you're not your body. But because my dad's on mescaline, it was like, 
you are not your body. Yeah. And my dad's like, holy Gandalf's shit. Voice. And all of a sudden, the band kicks on, and the first song they sing is, come down off your throne and leave your body alone. And my dad's like, fuck, it's in the book, it's in the song. Ah! And he's 15, he's running around, he's shaking people, it's in the book, it's in the song. People are like, get off me, man. Yeah. So my dad loses track of that Gilder guy, and he looks back, and the guy's gone. My dad's tripping balls. He leaves. He goes back to his apartment to see his friends. He's like, dude, you guys have got to read this book, but first take two of these. Yeah. So he gives the guys the drugs. It kicks on. The guy, His friend opens the book, and it says, you're not your body. <laughs> he freaks out just like my dad. So all night, they're like shooting energy balls at each other. We got to meet this guy, throwing stuff at each other. Sit up. We got to go. And so they look at the back of the book, and the back of the book says, Sit up. We'll be at the Church of the Crossroads, you know, the last Sunday of every month. And it's just the last Sunday, but because they're on mescaline, they're like, Dude, it's the last Sunday, not the first, not the second. It's only the last. <laughs> and they're freaking out about it. So they decide they're going to go. So they go the last Sunday of a the month. They're waiting around. And my dad's like, oh, man, where am I going to find this guy? How am I going to know who's who? And he sees Gildor. He's like, hey, Gildor, remember me? And my dad, the Gildor's like, oh, yeah, I remember you. He's like, how am I going to know who Sid is? And he's like, you will know when he gets here. And then my dad's like, have you ever seen anybody that looked like Jesus Christ? It was this guy, Sid. He shows up, and he's got a long white T-shirt to his knees. He weighs like 90 pounds. He's skinny as a rail. He's a huge beard and matted hair, and he's got this aura of enlightenment about him and my dad comes up and he goes hey man my dad's hippie name was magic pat he's like i'm magic pat i read your book i love it and so sid is like oh you should come to my ashram it's you know in Kauai. sell your stuff and come meet me he's like i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it so my dad and his friend they sell all their shit they take a boat over to Kauai. they hitchhike to the top of this mountain they get to this mountain and there's a big sign out front and it says Welcome to the Haiku Meditation Center. There will be no intoxication, drugs of any kind, no eating of meat, no sex, da-da-da. And my dad's reading each thing going, I do that, I do that, I do that shit. That's going to be hard. No, I do that. <laughs> he's looking at it. And then right when he's like, I don't know if I can do this, man, he looks over at his friend. Hey, man, this is pretty heavy. And he looks, and his friend's in the truck going down the mountain, leaving him. His friend's like, too much for me, bro. Good luck. Good luck on your journey. Get a magic pat. Yeah, magic pat. <laughs> So my dad's like, oh, I guess I got to go. So he throws his backpack over his shoulder, walks through the jungle, goes to this long hike. He finally comes to a clearing where there's a hut. There's a hut in the middle of the jungle. And there's these two guys. One guy who used to be an ex-Hells Angels named Big Dave and a little tiny guy who was an acid head named Little Dave. And Big Dave's like, what the fuck do you want, man? And my dad's like, oh. And the little, little Dave's like, oh, don't worry about him. Come with me. <laughs> <laughs> Grabs my dad, takes him in the center. And outside Sita's door, it says, be back in 18 to 24 hours. My dad didn't know what that meant until later. He opens up the door. They let him in. My dad sits down, and Sid is lying there with his eyes closed on the ground. And Sid goes, what do you want? And my dad goes, oh, what do I want? I want to be a guru. And he starts laughing. He's like, you want to be a guru? He starts, he's like, you have a huge ass ego, man. You want to be a guru? It's okay. Welcome to the center. He's like, these guys will show you around. So every day it was a kundalini yoga center, like a real kundalini yoga center, not like, you know, we do but kundalini we, here and yeah. then we go, you know, eat at Cafe Gratitude afterwards. You're yeah. like literally weaning <laughs> off of food and water every second. So Sid didn't eat for a year. That's why you're so skinny. Um, my dad would wake up. They do kundalini exercises, meditation. 
then for breakfast, they would all have a hot cup of mango juice. And if you drink hot mango juice, it gives you the runs. So they call it the cleaning out, the okay. cleaning process. So they just like run into the bathroom all morning. Then they do karma yoga. They clear the garden. They make, get all this produce that they don't eat. They take it to town and they sell it. And they use that money to help keep the ashram alive right. from the produce on the farm. After all that hard work, they have lunch. And they split an avocado between 20 people. Everyone gets this tiniest little wedge ever. Nighttime, they do dinner. Dinner is a hot cup of chamomile tea with a flower in it. My dad's like, I used to eat the flower. Then at night, they do more meditation. Then they go to bed. And they only sleep till like 3 in the morning. And they start it all over again. So my dad's doing it. It's brutal for him. One night, there's all the people in the ashram get up and they leave their bed and they go into Siddha's room and my dad's like, what the hell? How come I don't get to go in that room? I want to go in that room. He's 15. Right? He's like, I'm going in. And he walks in and Siddha's laying on his belly and there's candles all around and a couple of people are giving him a massage and everyone's just sitting there like in meditation. And Siddha's singing a song that's a really a spiritual song that they rec- rep- represents a specific kind of special consciousness. And he's saying, give me the body of an ant and I'll always serve you, God. Give me the body of a cockroach, and I'll always serve you, God. Give me any kind of body, and I'll always serve you, God. And my dad's sitting in the corner, and he's listening to this, and he's trying to let it kind of seep in, sink into him, trying to understand it all. And all of a sudden, everyone gets up, and before they get up, they all bow to him, and he's never seen anybody bow to anybody. In India, that's like everybody bows. They bow on the floor, they get up, they leave. And my dad's all of a sudden the only person in the room left, and he's not even supposed to be in there. And he's like, oh, man. Shit, how do I get out of here? So he's like trying to slowly creep up and leave the room because Sid and him are the only people in there. And then he feels like, maybe I should bow to him. I'll bow. And so my dad turns around and bows, but when he bows, he puts on his head on Sid's feet, which in India is like the, the biggest, biggest sign of respect and the biggest way, uh, the greatest uh, way of showing Devotion, honor. honor yeah. And so then my dad puts his head on his feet, and then my dad just starts bawling, crying away. 15 years of abuse, heartbreak, sorrow, trauma, everything. And he's bawling and crying and crying and crying with his head on his feet. And Sid has got his eyes closed still. And he says, now that you've put your head on my feet, I've taken all the karma off your back and I put it on my back. Just go to bed knowing that. Go to sleep knowing that. My dad didn't even know what karma was at the time. He just knew that sounds great. (laughs) So he gets up, goes to bed, has an awesome night's sleep. He's living on the ashram, but he's getting antsy, and it's really difficult for him. And he tells Siddha, hey, I'm just going to go to town and like make a phone call. And Siddha's like, well, why do you have all your stuff with you? <laughs> I'm just going to go make a quick call. I'll be right back. <laughs> he's like, please stay a little longer. And my dad's like, you don't understand. I'm just going to make a quick call, check in with some people. I'll be right back. And my dad leaves and never comes back. Meanwhile, he, gets, he hooks up with all his old buddies who always get him in trouble. He ends up getting drunk, stealing a car, crashing into a telephone pole, gets arrested, gets put back with his adopted parents. Okay. They shave his head. He's miserable. He gets a call later on from one of the guys in the ashram, and this guy named Biharilal. And Biharilal's like, hey, Magic Pat, you want to come back to the ashram? He's like, I don't know if I can. I'm stuck here. He tells him what happened. And he goes, well, we don't do kundalini yoga anymore. Now we do bhakti yoga. We uh, eat. And my dad's like, whoa, you had me at eat. All right, where is it happening? Yeah. <laughs> right? He's like, well, it's happening at the Church of the Crossroads. Where you met him before. Church of the Cross was still in, in uh, Oahu. It's like a hippie bookstore hangout. So my dad asks his parents for permission. They say, you can go be gone for a couple hours. So he bolts down there. 
when he gets there, there's hundreds of people. They're all having a kirtan. And Sid is at the front, and he sees my dad, and he goes, he starts laughing. He goes, I knew you'd come back. I knew you'd come back. And he gets up, and he grabs my dad and hugs my dad. My dad starts crying. He gives, like, a philosophy talk. They eat a wonderful meal, and my dad tells him what's going on, that he's under house arrest and all this stuff. And then Sid goes, well, maybe I could, you know, talk to your parents and see if I could raise you for the next few years. And Sid was famous in the islands for getting hippies off of drugs, cleaning up people's act. And my dad's like, I don't know if they're going to go for it. And my dad used to say, like, the greatest thing his parents ever did is to give him their parental rights. They signed him over to Siddha. Siddha took him for the next three years and raised him till he's 18. And my dad moved into an ashram on the north shore of Oahu at Rocky Point. Yeah. And uh, then ended up shaving his head, becoming a monk with Siddha and a bunch of other guys and traveling all around India, Asia, and everything with begging bowls and stuff. And my dad used to always say, you know, pain and sorrow, the stuff that he went through, would never have led him on the spiritual journey that he did. Mm. Would never have gotten him where he needed to be and to the state of enlightenment that he was able to achieve. You know, my dad would never say he's enlightened, but I know he was enlightened. And he was a very connected spiritual person. And he's like, if I lived a wonderful life in Japan with my mom, had that whole thing, I would never have questioned who I am, what is my purpose, why do I exist? I would never have seen the suffering and pain that I went through that led me to go deeper, you know? And I know that was a long story for talking no, about right. our trauma, but trauma and stuff like that can be something that can light a fire. It can be a spark of, oh, to make us go further. Oh, man, we're not victims of our, of our life. We're survivors. Yeah. You know? It's really a flip of a coin, you know? Yeah. We really can make our suffering not just be... The, it can really be defining for our greater purpose. Yeah to be of service, to understand how fortunate we are, how miserable it has been, but how we can overcome it. Yeah. You know, it's like, I want to at least know when I walk away from my life experience is that I'm better than, a, I'm a better person than I was yesterday. Yeah. Because all we got is today, the now. You know? Yeah. And like, yeah, it's, but then you, and your dad got into, I remember you telling me your dad got into acting. He was doing He did, he was an actor. He started General Hospital, right. all these different shows. He was on Miami so, Vice. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. It gives me hope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the other thing is, like, my dad was genuinely a completely content, happy person and was spiritually satisfied. He was satisfied on a soulful level, not on did a material level. And he did the work, and he would be like, I am so beyond happy in my life, and I never would have got here without a little bit of that pain and that trauma, that suffering that got me there. And it's like, I don't think there's anything as, such as coincidences. Like, we have karma. We have things we come into this world, families that we're put into for specific reasons, people we come in contact with for specific reasons. And, I mean, years ago, you told me a story about a guy you met in a bar that had cancer. You want to share that story? Yeah, in Budapest. Yeah. Yeah, far out. Um, <clears throat> well, I was, I've been to my first Burning Man. Yeah. And then I got a film, uh, filming in all around uh, Europe. So we ended up filming our last, the first day of my filming, the, 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 it was in Serbia, that part. And they're like, okay, smash this door. You're just going to save the day. Um, it's called Chernobyl Diaries. It's like yeah. one of the Oran Pally, you know, paranormal activity, yeah. Shlokar, I'm not my cup of tea. So I'm going to save the day from um, these crazy zombie people and smash the door open but they didn't tell me it's real glass so the crowbar go, it doesn't smash like smash it boom my finger's hanging off Yeah. so I have my finger hanging off I go to hospital I have a metal rod put through I'm in you know Belgrade, Serbia um, there's a ring I, it was t- horrific the whole experience it was like I'm thinking I'm coming out with a, you know my liver missing 
um, I still <laughs> film the next two weeks. But I have my own horror story within a you know yeah. horror story. So then you know made great friends, many relationships. This forced me to have to look, be different. It forced me to have to slow down. It forced me I couldn't be the man I wanted to be. I had to really accommodate mm-hmm. for the healing. So now it's come to last week and I'd met a beautiful girl in uh, Burning Man who invited me on her little journey in India. Mm. I was like, well, that's kind of perfect because it's on the way home to Australia. And now my last, you know, I've still got, you know, six weeks with this metal pin and I've got stitches just taken out my last day yeah. in, in Budapest. And I'm at a bar in Budapest. And I'm sitting there with this long, obviously a long look on my face, thinking hard and long, do I go to Burning Man with this girl that I hardly know, that I really trust and I really connected with, and I've always wanted to go to India. I'm scared shitless to go to India, obviously. <laughs> now I've got a metal rod in my finger, and I've got stitches just taken out. And a fresh I've, wound for India. I've Yeah, I've got wrapped around. I can't use it. I can't ride a motorbike. I don't think I can. I can't surf. So what am I going to do in India? Yeah gonna have to get all spiritual come on yeah so i'm sitting at the bar and this fucking irish man sitting, sitting next to me goes hey go on there it's my birthday would you like to have a have a drink with me i'm like yeah all right mate that'd be nice what's with the long face i'm like oh well you know it's a good thing i'm kind of thinking should i go back to in should i go to india from here or go back to australia because you know i think he's like what you worried about you lose your finger you lose your finger you got a whole <laughs> life to learn about just join me and inspire you. You want to hear a true story? Yeah, yeah, all right, mate, sure. So he buys me a drink. We're sitting there. He goes, well, I was in hospital 10 years ago, and I was petrified. I had testicular cancer. I was going to die of cancer. I was told I'd never have children. I'd never get married. Um, and I was just praying to God. I was in bed praying. I want to live. I don't want to not. I don't want to die. And this old woman heard my prayers she came over she goes do you want me to pray with you and I said yeah sure she goes do you believe in magic she goes, I believe in anything right now she goes but do you truly believe in magic because if I tell you this right now if you open up your heart and your mind if you believe that you have children if you believe that you're here for a greater purpose I promise you you'll win money you'll get married and you'll have children I'm like alright that's a good story mate he goes well I'm not kidding you the next morning I wake up the nurse comes in and I said, do you mind if I come and have a talk to the old lady, lady Mary for cross? There's no old, she's like, there's no Lady Mary in this hospital. There's no old lady in the ward. It's just you. He's like, oh. He goes, well, what's your name? She goes, I'm Mary too. He goes, now, would you believe that nurse Mary is now my wife? The cancer is gone. I had two children. And 10 years later, I just won the lotto. <laughs> So he's in Budapest. He just won forty or sixty thousand pounds. He's taken his wife for ten years, and literally told me this life story that just blew my mind and magic, you know. And I've just experienced too much of that now. Yeah. Where I've met people that are connected to the anima, connected to the spirit world, connected to the teachings in the everyday, you know, of coming across that bobcat on the rock or the wolf or the eagle in the sky, or that little spider in your room. And seeing relevance and everything, mm. seeing the magic and everything, realizing we are here to learn and to be <laughs> learned people and then pass on, be of service and just be that ripple effect of, of positivity, the vibration, the one love, you know? Mm. And that's where me and you connected as Capricorns, you know? We can make any mountain, you know, look like it's bearable. Mm. You know, we're all meant to like overcome adversity. Life is full of suffering. And I mean, you put me in the best place ever because. I mean, my first yoga teacher was a charlatan. You know, I was 20 years old. 
went to Gold's Gym and this yoga teacher took me back to his house telling me there's a party. There was no party. <laughs> and this guy just had a thing for sweet Aussie boy. And when I'm like, so how long do we hold hands for? I don't understand this part of yoga yet. This is kind of cool. Sure, let's take our shirts off and hold hands now. This is great. And I worked it out after, you know, it got a bit about four hours later. <laughs> well, we were completely naked, and it's like coconut oil, and no, it didn't get there. But thankfully, I've had my moments of adversity. I've had my moments of charlatans and yeah. people that rip your heart out, and you're like, "Well, what? What does this purposely? How does this help me? This negative experience?" But I needed this to help shape and shift into positive, to understand the good from the bad, to understand people that are here to give and to take, mm. and that is relevant. The yeah. suffering is relevant, you know? And then you even reminded me, this reminds me of your story because I was so hesitant to think, can I be a yogi? Can I learn yoga? Because I've been a brawler. I've mm-hmm. physically protected people. I, I know I've come from where I come from, but I do want to change that. I do want to change my aggressive nature. I do want to not just be known as the angry hippie. You know, I want to be able to be kinder and, and more beautiful like my grandmother. And only smile and have words of beauty. So I remember you helped me shift that, and you told me about from the Bhagavad to the story of Arjuna, mm. and that helped me understand that we can all be warriors of light, mm-hmm. and that we all have our bloodlines and our checkered past or our moments, but we're not meant to be defined. We're defined by the now. We're, def- you know, and that's the cool thing about what we're sharing right now in this little moment of podcast world is that hopefully our ripple effect passes on and maybe that little tuning fork moment happens for someone and it's mm-hmm. like oh cool I'm not perfect too and these dudes have come from imperfect lives as well mm-hmm. and this whole western western ideal of you know the external happiness rather than internal is where these conversations need to be happening more yeah I mean, we live in a world that's perfectly imperfect yeah I mean if it was perfect we wouldn't have to poop and pee every day yeah right yeah yeah, well, maybe there's some people who just love that activity. They're like, yeah, I look forward to it every day. But I mean, you want to. I love to, being regular. I eat my father. You want to have to be. <laughs> you want to have to be sick. We all have colds, flu, sickness. Yeah. You want to have to die. Yeah. See, these are all things that show you the place is perfectly imperfect, and they're all to me. They're all signs of going deeper. Like these are all signals. All these different things of happiness, pain, distress, death, birth. All these things are supposed to inspire um, philosophical and metaphysical conversations and thought processes about it all. Um, yeah. The quantum. The quantum. Uh, what happened to your finger in the, in the journey to India? In the journey to India, after that, so I went to India because yeah. I was bloody Irishman. <laughs> bloody hell. And it was tough. Yeah. And I was not having a great time. Like, I realized, <laughs> I was like, it's, it's a, the senses were overblown. I'm like, chai masala, no chai masala, malega. <laughs> so I'm kuch malega. Everything is possible. Well, I feel like I'm dying from the sanitary, like the, this, the mal heat, the, the amount of people living in their own shit. And I just couldn't, I'm, it was just mind blowing. Yeah. But you have to hit rock bottom yeah. sometimes to be able to get up and get yeah. to the high point. <laughs> and I did. And luckily I was in good company. I met a good friend's parents who were living there who were German. I'm like, you Germans living in India? And then I met Israelis living in India. Then I met um, Australians living there and all taking... And so my big moment was when I was freaking out with my finger. It was starting to get infected. I got bitten by sand flies and they were turning all gnarly and my body was just breaking down, literally breaking down. 
and I remembered going to see a doctor, but I couldn't get into the doctor's office because there was a giant cow in the, in the doctor's office. <laughs> well, what, the, what answer am I going to get from this guy? He's looking at a cow before me. I was, it was hilarious. <laughs> and I love Ayurvedic medicine. And I was into that. And I literally just went for a walk. And that kind of trust of just going, I need to find an answer. I went down a path and found a um, Ayurvedic school that had just opened up that day. This, this man was 27 and his grand, grand, grandfather was a Pantajali. Mm-hmm. So he was a descendant of this Ayurvedic practice. And I sat down with him. He gave me a bottle full of love and some um, uh, Amni mm-hmm. and uh, Amna. And everything was healed. And it was kind of like those moments that kept reminding me of the magic of like, mm-hmm. keep learning, keep growing, keep pushing, keep striving and challenge yourself. Um, so I got through India with that kind of, wow, I did it this. I, the fear I'd created that didn't really exist. And the, this finger would have been an excuse because I was fearing the things that I did not understand yet. Mm-hmm. I was fearing India and the intensity of that senses overload. Yeah. Um, but it helped me understand so much more about me. Yeah. Um, and that... It really helped me understand with Avec medicine, life is about prevention of illnesses, about prevention of getting yourself broken, spirit, broken body, you know? Mm. Have people in your life that check in on you every week, that really ask how you are, that really care about you, you know? Yeah. Um, Kuch Malega. Kuch Malega. Anything is possible. Is possible. <laughs> yeah. Everything All those possible. mantras, you know, they're sitting there burning cow dung to have their meal, with the biggest smile on their face, bobbing their head. Mm. And saying, subcooch, yeah. everything is possible. So, I mean, that kind of experience for me is just what it's all about, you know? Mm. Um, being in awe of human, being in awe of nature, in awe of nature our greatest teacher. Um, that's why surfing is so important to me and the environment. Um, yeah, I think, I think the ocean is one of those magical places. I don't think I could ever live away from the ocean. I don't, I've never had it in my whole no, life. No, me neither. I've always been close to it, yep. and it actually makes me weird if I if I'm far away from it for a while. Yeah. I start getting antsy and like, what the hell? I need to get back to the sea. It's bizarre. It's like a an instinctual calling that I need to be by the ocean. Um, is there anything you want to share? I love you tomorrow, Shawnee. Just with Shawnee, my little light worker. I'm just stoked to share this time with you and to everyone and anyone who's listening. You are not alone. Yep. We're all sharing the journey. Um, Come to Australia if you need to change it up. I promise you will not be disappointed. I don't think anybody will be disappointed going nah. to the land of Oz. Oh, we got a lot of like redneck bogans. We got problems. We're not. It's not by any different. Just go out to the bush. But just head bush. Yeah, go walk about, as we say. Find yourself. Yeah. You know, let the land talk to you. Yeah, and remember, Sepkuch Malega. Anything is possible. Yeah, my brother. It's Malega. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Nathan. All right. Namaste, everybody. Namaste.